Hello there. Presented by the Atlas Strength Shop. This is the Atlas Nerds in Iron podcast. With your hosts, Cameron Ray and Tyler Hales. Good evening and welcome to the Atlas Nerds and Iron Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Ray, and this week we have a special guest host. We have Mr. Matthew Cavalier. How you doing, Matt? I'm doing great, Cameron. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. So uh, Tyler is taking a little bit of a hiatus. Not sure how long it's going to be, uh, but Matt is going to be filling in for him. Um, we haven't changed the, uh, the intro just yet, but we're going to be hopefully doing that soon. Uh, it really just depends on how long Tyler is going to be out and, yeah, if if time permits for him coming back and all that cool stuff. So we talked to Matt a little bit last week. If you listened to the podcast last week, it was the four, it was me, Matt, Tyler, and Chastity all sitting around the iPad in Tyler's hotel room, but we really didn't get a chance to do a proper introduction with Matt. Uh, So we're going to go through the sponsors real quick and then we're going to talk to Matt. Sound good to you? Sounds perfect. Awesome. So first and foremost, we have Unmasked Studio. Go to Instagram and type in Unmasked Studio. That is no S. He is a maker of boutique cosplays. Uh, have you have you ever gone and checked out his stuff? I have. They're actually really high quality. Very, very. Uh, he makes it's definitely it's stu- Hollywood studio level quality for his uh, for his cosplays. It, I'm not gonna lie. This is kind of weird doing this without Tyler. So I'm kind of tripping over my words right now because I normally have him to kind of bounce off on this kind of stuff. But we're going to get through it. Unmasked Studio, without an S, on Instagram, Facebook. He makes high-quality, boutique-level cosplays. They're a little expensive, but if you can't afford one, go like his stuff, share his stuff, comment on his stuff, go and tag us in your favorite one of his cosplays. Do whatever you can to bump this guy up in the algorithm so that way he gets in front of more eyes and hopefully sells more suits. If you buy one of his suits, I promise you're going to be the best-looking person at the con. I'm also going to turn my chair a little bit. That way I can uh, see you a little better. I'm still used to filming these and looking at the camera, but there's no camera over there to look at anymore, at least not for the time being. So it doesn't really make sense to have one right now. All right. Next up, we have StrikeForceEnergy.com. Go to StrikeForceEnergy.com. Use promo code ATLASSTRENGTH at checkout. You're going to save 20% on your next purchase of Strikeforce Energy. You've used Strikeforce Energy before, haven't you? I have. I really like it. Yeah. Uh, They come. What's your favorite flavor? Orange. Orange? Have you ever mixed the orange and the grape? I hate grapes, so that's not something I'm ever going to do. Okay, fair (laughs) enough. The grape is actually my favorite flavor, and I love the mix of the grape and the orange. Each packet has 170 milligrams of caffeine, so that gives you uh, a total of 340 milligrams. So when you're really tired and you need that caffeine, that's a a good way to do it. That's some good old-fashioned crack energy. Yes, I don't recommend everybody do that, especially not at first. And I don't know what it is because the... um, they also have a 700 milliliter pump uh, pump bottle. The packets feel like they have more caffeine in them. I don't understand why. And I've also noticed that switching from flavor to flavor will also seem to reset the caffeine tolerance. It doesn't make any sense to me. Mm, I really have no way to explain that at yes, all. Yes, uh, it's probably just a placebo effect. I don't know. But use promo code ATLASSTRENGTH at checkout. You're going to save 20%. We get a small kickback from that. It helps us do cool things with the podcast. They're veteran-owned, high-quality stuff. It's really good. Mix it with whatever you want. Next up, we have Go Hard Labs. Spell like it sounds. That's G-E-A-U-X Hard Labs. Go to GoHardLabs.com. Use promo code RUGARU10 at checkout, and you're going to save 10% on your next uh, on your next order of pre-workout. 
Right now, I am trying their new flavor. It's called Bayou Blues. Did you try any of their samples at uh, at Rougarou? You or not Rougarou at Alabama Strong? Should you get over there, ten at all? I meant to, but uh, I don't. For some reason, I never made it over there to try a sample. But I I have it on my list to buy some for myself. Yes. So I uh, they gave me a tub of the uh, of the Bayou Blues, and I say I like that flavor much more than the Cajun Nightcrawler. They're also in the process of fin- of working on the finishing touches for their intra workout and their protein. So can't wait to try those as well. They're going to be here at the Rougarou Classic, uh, which is going to be on October 30th, 2021. They're going to have a tent set up. Uh, one of them is going to actually be competing that day, and it is going to be awesome. They were supposed to come Strongman Saturday yesterday, but uh, but we didn't see them for some reason. So, But they are very busy. They are a fast-growing company. You should definitely check them out before they get too big and realize that they are worth way more than $40 a tub. That's right. That's right. Their pre-workout is only forty dollars for. I think it's uh yeah sixty servings in there. That's a good price. It's a really good price, and uh, they had to make their scoop smaller. Their scoop used to be really big. Their pre-workout was too strong, so they had to make it smaller. So that for those like of you a high, to have. yeah, for those of you a high caffeine tolerance like myself, that there's your sign right there. Go to gohardlabs.com. Use promo code Rugeru10 at checkout. Save you ten percent. Last but not least, we have Cerberus USA. Go to CerberusUSA.com. Use promo code ATLASSTRENGTH at checkout. And you're going to save 10% on pretty much anything strongman related you might need. Matt, do you use any Cerberus products? I have. They're really good stuff. Oh, uh, but do you have any of their protective gear or anything like oh, that? Um, I don't currently own any of them yet um, just because I'm trying to get through what I own. Mm-hmm. But I do like their grip shirts. I do like their straps. And I really like messing with their sandbags. Their They're sandbags really are incredible. easy to handle. Yeah. yeah. They they make the best sandbags on the market, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, I love their figure eights. I just spilled some of my whiskey. I had like a spasm in my left hand. And it wasn't much. It was probably about a swallow worth. But it's sad. And I smell like bourbon. But my... Um, my body wash has like bourbon infused in it, so that's normal. Yeah, I always smell like bourbon. Um, I can't remember what it's called, but it's really cool stuff. Uh, it's in like the bougie section of the Target body washes. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, the high dollar stuff. Yeah, the high, the higher dollar stuff, like next to the, like the um, like the is not Duke Cannon or one of those, but it's it's a contemporary company along with them. I just do my wife's soap, so I don't really know. You just use your wife's soap? Yeah. Okay, that works. Um. But I think uh I think the scent is bourbon vanilla. That actually sounds nice. Yeah. And yeah, she she picked it out. She loves it. So Yeah, hey, it works. If, if you uh you know, if your woman likes it, then that means it's working. That's really all that matters. Yep. Yeah, like I can't really tell what I smell like unless I really stink. But apparently <laughs> she can. Uh so right now we are actually drinking, speaking of bourbon, we've got a little bit of uh seventeen ninety two in a glass. Normally we're drinking beer, but this was Matt's first official uh um, Appearance, I guess. was Is that the right word? Appearance? Uh, well, technically, We're I an appeared. audio show. <laughs> I, I appeared in the last one, but that one went off the rails real quick. That one did. That was a fun episode, though. It was. I laughed pretty much the entire time. I, I really enjoyed that episode, and I think it was a very fitting episode for uh, for Tyler's last episode before he, uh, he takes his break. Like I said, hopefully we'll have him back soon. Yeah, I hope so, but too. Who knows? In the meantime, we got you, and hey, it works. You just have to make do, everybody. I don't know about making do. You know, it's um, it's not a four. It's not a step forward. It's not a step back. It's a lateral move. Lateral move. Yeah. Okay, I'll take that. Yes, and your name's definitely not made up. It's definitely not made up. Not you made can up. Ask my mom. All. 
I will. Okay. If I ever meet her, I'll ask her. Mom. I will. <laughs> I don't know when we're going to arrange that, but I'll keep that yep. in mind. It'll be, uh, so which, which action series book did you pick Matt's name out of? Oh. That's what we're going to ask. I don't know. We have to see what was popular back in the early 90s. Yeah. Goosebumps. That was popular, That's what actually. I was reading in the early 90s. I inherited my brother's Goosebumps collection later, so sounds about right. I didn't know anybody actually bought Goosebumps. I just thought they just kind of checked them out at the library for accelerated reading points. Um, if I remember correctly, they were acquired through the school's book fair. Were they? I think so, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, my parents never gave me money to buy books at the book fair. Mm, I'm sorry, Cameron. Yeah, I think they just knew I wasn't going to read them. <laughs> So, Makes sense. Yeah, it does. So I just kind of went around and said, well, that looks cool, but I'll never read that. Well, my family's in, um, we're all big readers. Okay. Uh, especially my parents and my brother. Um, and I grew up reading too, so. What kind of series did you read growing up? Well, Harry Potter was big when I was growing up, mm-hmm. obviously that. Um, man, I, I jumped around a lot. Um, Lemony Snicket series, series of unfortunate events. Um, I read like the first 13 books and then for some reason I just Jesus. didn't finish it off. I didn't know it was that many books. How many books were there total? I want to say like 15 or 16. Just finish them. Well, the, the, the good thing is they weren't really big books. Yeah. They weren't like, you know, 50 chapters like mm-hmm. the Harry Potter novels. So I remember going back and rereading them. I read like the first eight books in like a couple of weeks. So I might mm-hmm. have to go back and finish it. See, I remember being 10 years old and reading The Hobbit. I don't think I ever read those because probably at the time they would have been probably a little bit more advanced for my age. But well, now that I can appreciate mm-hmm. it, I should probably go back and start them. Well, that's why I really didn't read a lot mm-hmm. because like it took me six months to read The Hobbit. That's probably a lot of reading. It, well, it wasn't a lot of reading. It was just there was a lot of uh, it was slow reading. There was a lot of rereading, you know, because like 10 year old probably doesn't have any business you know, reading something just as in-depth as something from Tolkien. Right. But I think I started in the sixth grade. I don't know how old people are in the sixth grade, so I'm just assuming I was around 10. I read The Hobbit, and I read The Fellowship of the Ring before The Fellowship of the Ring hit theaters. That's right. what That's what had me start, because I was sitting in the movie theater with my dad, and I had no idea what I was looking at whenever I saw the trailer for Fellowship of the Ring, and he suggested that I read the books. Uh, so I got through The Hobbit and Fellowship before that one hit theaters, and by the time Two Towers came out, I had read The Two Towers and Return of the King. And I think by the time I was in, and I spent the entire year in the eighth grade reading The Cimmerillion. Okay. Which, that one I was just not prepared for. <laughs> like, that's, reading The Cimmerillion is almost like reading a, um, it's almost like reading an entire religious text. Oh, that sounds uh, pretty deep. <laughs> yes, it, it's very deep in lore. Um, none of the names are like names that are familiar, so they're very hard to remember isn't, when you're in the eighth grade, if that makes sense. No, I understand. You know, like like if you don't know who any of the, the Norse pantheon is and somebody just randomly tells you like Baldur's name and then asks you what his name is three months later, you're probably not going to remember because you don't have any kind of frame of reference. I had that experience that. recently. I was reading a, uh, a book um, about World War II and it had a lot of references to Japanese um, people and I could never remember their name after I read the sentence. I just, one of those things. I have that problem when I watch anime. Really? Yes. Like, um, like I, I gave Naruto a shot 
mm-hmm. and I couldn't remember any of the characters besides Naruto's name. I really haven't watched much anime besides Dragon Ball Z. And well, the Dragon Ball series as a whole. Yes. Um, that's actually my personal favorite one because that's the one that got me started with it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, Chastity has me watching Helsing Ultimate. I think that's one of the ones that my brother has gotten into at some point. I'm not sure. I'm about to ask him. It is really, really good. Do you remember Trigun? Came on Adult Swim, but not during the day. It was like late right. at night. Uh, vaguely. I remember the name for sure. Uh, do you remember Cowboy Bebop? That I do remember. The art style for Helsing Ultimate is very, very similar to those two. Okay. okay. Yes. Like, um, I don't want to say it's more realistic, but it's a little bit darker and grittier. Okay. Um, essentially, the premise of the show is it's a vampire hunting organization, but it takes place in semi-modern day. I think it takes place in like the late 80s, early 90s. Okay. From what I kind of understand with some of the references. And the main protagonist is Dracula, who uh, I, we haven't gotten to this point in the series, so I have no idea why. But for some reason, he is tied to the Helsing organization, and he is their primary vampire hunter. I and, would never have guessed that Helsing and Dracula would have been on well, the same side. His, his actual character's name is Alucard, but okay. it's Dracula backwards. <laughs> Um, they haven't gotten into why he, but like whoever runs the Helsing organization, he refers to them as master. Okay. I remember the Helsing movie that Hugh Jackman was, that was, such, a, that was such an underrated movie. Yeah. But I really wish they would have done another one. What's her name? The female actress. Kate Beckinsale. Yeah, yeah. She made it worthwhile. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, and the werewolves look awesome in that movie. Oh, I remember the werewolf. That is true. Mm-hmm. But, uh, just to kind of set the stage for just how kind of strange and out there the Helsing series is. So it takes place in modern day. Mm-hmm. The bad guys that they're fighting, the organization is like wreaking havoc, you know, cause there's gotta be like an underground organization wreaking havoc is apparently a battalion from Nazi Germany that has turned every, that has turned the entire battalion into vampires. Man, what is it with the Nazis trying to yes. make everything all weird? Yeah, so they're they're literally fighting Nazi vampires. It doesn't get more evil than that. I mean, who doesn't want to kill a Nazi vampire? Come but, on. But uh, they wind up taking over this battleship, and they're in the middle of the ocean. Nobody can get close to them. So Alucard winds up just crashing an SR-71 into the battleship and <laughs> just walking out of the wreckage and just destroying everybody. I kind of want to see that. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I feel like it'd be a very cool sequence to watch. Yes, it, it, it's really good. But uh, I think we're going to wind up finishing that series tonight. It's not very long. It's like two seasons, I think. That's it? Yeah, and then they have an abridged version on on YouTube where they make everything funny. So I'm looking forward to that, too. I find it funny that an anime is only two seasons because usually everything's like 40 episodes and 200 seasons deep. Yeah, right. Uh, it, I think that's just because you're used to Dragon Ball. Maybe, yeah. Dragon Ball is a very long-running anime. Yeah, yeah. Frieza lasted, what, 50 episodes by itself? Well, there's a reason for that. Um, The manga that Akira Toriyama was writing, the TV show was starting to catch up to where he was in the manga. Okay. So they had to add... add, That's what all the filler is. It's basically letting him get a few more chapters ahead Mm -hmm. so they don't catch up and wind up with a Game of Thrones situation. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so that's why, and there's a lot of reasons that, or there's a lot of things that that kind of plays into. Like that's one of the reasons why, uh, 
when Goku goes Super Saiyan, his hair is yellow because Akira Toriyama didn't have to spend all that time inking black hair. Okay. After that. So it allowed him to write the manga faster and there wouldn't be as much filler in the anime. See, would have never, I would have never known that because by the time Dragon Ball came through the United States when I was growing up, that was already a big thing in Japan for, what, years? Mm-hmm. So that's that's not something that I would have, you know, really known. Goku, if I'm in this, might my date might be wrong, but it was around this period. In Japan, Goku went Super Saiyan for the first time in 1991. I saw that in, what, 2001, 2002, something like, something like that. Yeah, we were kids. Yeah. Uh, but I remember you basically, we watched... We watched the Saiyan saga over and over and over again <laughs> yeah, on Toonami. And then we were like, okay, they're somewhere new now. And we probably didn't get the Boo saga until we were in high school. Sounds about right. Or I think I was probably finishing up middle school, going into high school, give or take. Something I, like that. I remember finishing the Cell saga in middle school and catching bits and pieces of the Boo saga. But I was never a by that point... You know, my life had taken a different turn, and I wasn't able to kind of watch it episode by episode. I didn't wind up finishing the series until probably 2010 or something like that. Oh, I I had watched the show over once or twice by then. Yeah, I was like out of the house and had internet, and I was downloading it illegally off of <laughs> off of the internet. So that's how I finished it. And I actually watched from the first episode of Dragon Ball all the way to at the time. Dragon Ball GT. Right. Yeah, because that was what we had. Uh, I know a lot of people didn't like Dragon Ball GT, but I always kind of liked it. It was, a, it was a bit of a weird vibe to it, but I liked it. There were aspects of it I really liked. Like the right. baby arc was really good. Um, Super Saiyan 4 was incredibly designed, mm-hmm. although it was kind of weird how he grew pants. I was a little... I didn't understand that. Like there's just pants in his DNA. I don't know. They, they got to sense. a point where I just stopped asking questions, just enjoyed yeah. the show. <laughs> like it, it didn't make sense, but I, but I'll, I'll run with it. Right. Um, the first arc. So basically, what happened with Dragon Ball GT is Akira Toriyama was no longer interested in doing the manga. Right. Uh, you know, he had he had done it for so long. He was tired. You know, it's kind of like you know Steve Carell in the office. He's ready to move on to other projects. Right. Um. But Toei Animation still wanted to do the TV show. So Akira Toriyama did all the character designs for GT. Okay. So Super Saiyan 4, uh, Baby, all the villains were designed by Akira Toriyama. And what Toei Animation decided to do is with Dragon Ball GT, they were going to go back to the to how it was in Dragon Ball, mm-hmm. where it was more of an adventure show rather than just straight fighting all the time right so that's what that first arc was with the dark star dragon balls and the kind of the the more tongue-in-cheek zany uh scenes that it had it was supposed to have a feel more like the original dragon ball but at this point the audience was too old right yeah the audience that started with dragon ball went all away they just got done watching the boo arc I remember at some. I don't remember exactly where it turned, but there was a turning point where things got pretty dark. The turning point was the baby arc. They realized yeah. th- they realized that their their comedy show, their adventure show, they were trying to make that was similar to the Pilaf gang back in the early Dragon Ball just mm-hmm. wasn't going to work with these audiences. Which is interesting because that's why Dra- Dragon Ball actually almost originally got canceled uh, because they tried to do that same thing. 
Okay. Uh, that's why after the Pilaf arc, they started to, that's when Master Roshi became more involved. There was more training. They had a different rival for him, and that's when they did the World Martial Arts Tournament. Right. Because it was a little bit more action-oriented. That's what audiences wanted. <clears throat> Excuse me. So the baby arc was when things got a little bit more darker. And that's when they realized we really shit the bed with this whole making Goku a kid thing again. Right. So they needed a way to make Goku an adult for the action sequences and the fights. And that's when Baby came around, the Golden Uzaru, Super Saiyan 4. Right. Things got a lot more darker after that. The, right. uh, the um, I don't even remember what they called them. But they were, you know, you had the seven different dragons. Um, I the shadow dragons. Yeah, that's, that's what they were called. Yeah, yeah. You know, they like they had a re- lot of really cool arcs. Like uh, Omega Shinron was that was that was like the final boss. Yes, if I remember Omega correctly. Shinron, and you had Super Saiyan Four Gogeta. I remember that one. That one was that one was interesting. It was a really <laughs> cool fight. Yeah, and it, it's crazy just how much different Super like Gogeta and GT was mm-hmm. versus Dragon Ball Super. Right. Because, I don't know, did you ever watch the movies? The movies? Um, Which ones? I mean, there's been a lot of them. Did you ever watch Dragon Ball Z Fusion Reborn? It was the movie that came out around the same time as the Boo arc. I think they were dead, right? Uh, Yes, where they introduced Gogeta. Right, yes, I did see that. If you, So, if you remember, when Gogeta was introduced to, uh, to fight whatever that primordial evil was, mm-hmm. I don't remember if it had a name or not, Gogeta didn't say a word the whole time. Yeah, he was kind of like a, a silent killer type yes, character. Like it, he was he was all about business. He didn't play around. The fight was done. Right. While in Dragon Ball C or I'm sorry, Dragon Ball GT, mm. they practically made Gogeta more like a Vegito copy. Yeah, he was joking around. Yeah, he was and... joking around. He was taking his time. He was playing with his prey. Right. And it bit him in the ass. Right. <laughs> when they did Dragon Ball Super Broly, did you get around to watching that? Uh, no, I didn't. Okay. Well, I won't ruin it, but, you, I mean, it's it's too late now. I'm sure you've seen the spoilers. Um, probably, if you tell me what it is, I'm yeah. sure. Like, Go, Gogeta, Gogeta Blue is, okay. like, yeah. they, they wind up fusing and going Super Saiyan Blue for in Gogeta. I, yeah, I've seen that. They bring that back to the uh, Gogeta from Dragon Ball Z uh, Fusion Reborn. Okay. Where he's all about business and he's just, like, once the fight starts anyway. Okay. You kind of get this little goofy moment, kind of like you did when uh, Trunks and Goten fuse and they're trying to name themselves <laughs> and, and all that foolishness. But other than that. All right, so we kind of got off the rails a little bit. Matt, tell the audience about yourself. Man, we really went off the rail for a little while. Yes, we did. Um, So, about me. I grew up in a small town called Pierre Park. Um, graduated from high school in Assumption. That's in Napoleonville, which is like 10 minutes from there. Um, went to, well, I played football at Assumption, where I was also introduced to the gym, which is now what I love. Mm-hmm. Um, graduated from there. We were, you, a, were you still in Napoleonville during Hurricane Gustav? That was right around 2009. Yeah. Yes, I, I remember that. I was part of the National Guard response for Hurricane Gustav in that area. You saying you gave me MREs? Probably. Oh, well. Yeah. Small world. Yep. <laughs> so I graduated from high school from Assumption, and then I went to LSU. I was an equipment manager for the football team there for several years. And then my last semester, I met my wife. Um, we stayed here in Baton Rouge. 
I worked out at a couple different gyms, found you and Atlas on a Google search, I think. Okay. Um, just because I was looking for a little bit more of a um, less box gym feel and mm-hmm. more of a good old-fashioned iron and rubber floors. Okay. And here I am. Awesome, awesome. So what does an equipment manager actually do? Um, whew, quite a lot, actually. So obviously, we quite literally manage their equipment. Mm-hmm. Uh, we fit them in all their gear. We maintain it. We keep it clean, make sure they're safe to wear. Um, we assisted the coaches and practices, um, travel with the team for home and away games, handled all their logistics, uh, made sure they had everything they needed to compete, um, maintained the facilities, kept them clean, um, did their laundry, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and just we were just kind of like a, a do-it-all group of people. If they needed something done, we just kind of handled it for them. Okay. How many of y'all were there, roughly? There was, at the time, three full-time people. Like, mm-hmm. that was their career. And then there were 12 of us students. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, that's obviously a lot of people to manage a team. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say your your most memorable experience doing that was? Oh, um, man, there's been a lot. Been a part of a lot of big games and stuff like that. Um I would probably say either some of the things that happened at practices, just, you know, interacting with players and coaches, mm-hmm. or some of the traveling. I got to go to some cool places. I got to see some really cool venues like the new Cowboys Stadium in Dallas. Okay. Which is sick. Um, just, yeah, just, just the new experiences that otherwise I would not have had mm-hmm. on my own. Um, but, yeah, it, there's, man, I... That could be a podcast by itself, talking about the cool things that I got to do and the awesome people I got to meet. Okay. Uh, so it is a lot. <laughs> that might be one that we do. Um, how many how many people did you work with, would you say, are now, pro, are now pros or went pro? That went pro? Yeah. Man, that's hard. I was there for six years. So that would be easily a few dozen. Um, okay. We had a lot of talented players yeah. come through there. Um, guys like Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham who are still in the league. Um, man, it, it, yeah, it's, it's a lot. Okay. Some some are still in the league. Some have um, mm-hmm. have ended their careers since. But it, it's it's hard to put a, hard to put a number without going back and looking it up because it, it was a lot of guys. Okay. And when when you got there, had uh, had Les Miles already taken over, or were you there during the transition? I was there. My first year there was twenty ten. Okay. Uh, Miles was already there for three seasons. Okay. Three or four seasons. No, he was there for five seasons. That was like going into his fifth year. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. Cool. Yeah. And so what do you do these days? Uh, these days, I am a shipper for a graphic design company. And I am training for strongman competitions and getting ready to be a daddy. Got a awesome. little girl on the way. What's her name going to be? Uh, her name is going to be Vivian Margaret. Vivian Margaret. Yes, sir. Vivian Cavalier. Vivian Cavalier. Yeah. Want me to really throw you for your loop about my last name? What's up? Cavalier is not how you actually pronounce it. How do you pronounce it? It's actually pronounced Cavalier. It's a it's a French name from back home. But See, now I just tell everyone me. that it's Cavalier because <laughs> people outside of Piafford are not going to know what the hell I'm talking about. That's That's fair. So that's if you fair. ever meet my wife, she's going to correct you. Which is funny because it she, it wasn't originally her name. 
<laughs> no, her, her her original name, you're going to love this. Her her maiden name is Quick. Okay. Q-U-I-C-K, Quick. Okay. Also sounds made up. <laughs> that sounds a little bit more made up than my name. I don't know. I don't know. I think part of the reason why I think your name's made up and you can't convince me otherwise is because, like, pretty much everyone around our age that is in the gym, one of our first influences on YouTube was Jeff Cavalier from AthleanX.com. Yeah, he wasn't an influence of mine. He wasn't an influence of yours? No. I was always convinced his name was made up. That's a real name, man. Is it a real Like yours or his? Well, I'm guessing his name is real, but my name is for sure real. There's a lot of us out there. Okay. You're the first one I've met. (laughs) I swear that we're out there. All right. Do you think they're all pronounced? How would you pronounce it again? Well, the the way we grew up speaking it, it's Cavier. Cavier. Yeah, because growing up, a lot of people... Uh, in Pierreport, actually spoke French as their first language. Okay. So whenever you would talk to someone who speak French in their first yeah. language, they pronounce it Cavalier. Okay. Which kind of muddled in the Cavalier. Mm-hmm. And then I, when you walk into the rest of society who don't know any of that. That's fair. You just say Cavalier just because they know what that is. You know, okay. they've heard of the Chevy Cavalier car. They've yeah. heard of the Cleveland Cavalier basketball team. So it's just. Plus Cavalier is a word in the English language. That too. Yeah. yeah she has a. A definition so, in a dictionary. Yes, it's a pretty well-known word. Yeah. Um, so was French your first language? Uh, no. Um, I mean, I grew up speaking English, but I was I was definitely speaking French growing up. I spoke French in school in the immersion program. Okay. But my grandparents spoke French, and I had a lot of aunts and uncles who still spoke French. So I was always around it. Do you still speak French? Um, I understand it. Okay. But it's hard for me to articulate it because it's been such a long time since I really had a conversation in it. Fair enough. That was uh, that was her first language as well. Yeah, if you told me that before, I thought that yeah. was very interesting. Yep. Yeah, she uh, yeah, she is very Cajun. I can tell. Like, very, very Cajun. Yeah, the, after I uh, sat down and talked to her, it's like, yeah, I, I, I know where you're from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a bad way. I love her. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, she's, she's a good woman. Yep. Uh. So you just recently started training uh, at Atlas. Yes. Or that might not be the right verbiage because we haven't gotten you a student yet, mm-hmm. but you are about to start training at Atlas. Uh, you excited about that? About to start training at Atlas? Other people. Oh, start. Okay. Yes. I understand what you're asking now. Yes, yes. I am excited for that. This is, uh, I love being in the gym. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely been a positive influence on my life. Um, and it's something that I would very much like to share with other people. Awesome. You want to tell us a little bit about your, your personal training philosophies? Okay. So um, personal training philosophy, kind of hard to put that in words because no one's ever actually asked me what my philosophy is. Okay. Um, but basically, I can tell you what I do. Okay. Um, my basic goal in the gym is to be strong and fit and healthy. Mm-hmm. And the way I have done that is I've formed my uh, programs around the basic barbell exercises Mm -hmm. and then everything behind that is geared towards making those better how i get their changes basically on my need but the overall goal is to be stronger be a little faster be a little healthier and uh just improve my quality of life so that hopefully when i'm old and gray and uh i can still move and play around with my grandkids that'd be nice yeah yeah so you said football is what originally got you into the gym. Yeah, that was how I really got exposure to it. Did you do you feel like you had a good strength coach in high school? Or was um, he the biggest social studies co- teacher? <laughs> well, the first couple of years, it was kind of they just gave us a program and said, go do this. 
but there wasn't really any real instruction. Mm-hmm. But my junior and senior year, our linebackers coach was actually someone who was a strength coach at LSU. Okay. Or he was an intern. He was on the staff in some capacity. Okay. So when he came, um, he actually gave us a program, and he actually, you know, taught us, hey, um, this is how you actually do a squat properly. Okay. This is how you do a power clean without banging your head on the bar. You know, things like that. He actually taught us properly how to lift. Yeah. And then I stuck with it through high school and into college. Um, turns out being strong paid off for me because I had to do a lot of heavy lifting with the football team. Oh, I'm sure. I was a D-line manager, so I was always pushing around sleds and moving bags and stuff like that. You think you could score us a sled? Mm, probably not anymore. Damn. I don't think they would give me that. Damn. Yeah. Do you still have a key? No, those are all Damn. gone. <laughs> yeah, sorry, man. But um, I kept um, Tommy Moffitt, the strength coach at LSU, um, and I got to observe what he and his staff did. Okay. And so I really got to see what, you know, quality strength conditioning coaching staff looks like. Okay. Um, so some of that kind of stuck with me. Um, so I'm hoping to use a little bit of what I learned there um, to help whoever I can. Awesome, awesome. And now Tommy Moffat, does he just – is he only the strength coach for the LSU football team or for or is he just over the strength and conditioning for all of LSU athletics? How does that work? Um, I'm not entirely sure. He's definitely the man in charge. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, he's been there through, what, three or three, four – he, he, I think he first started there when Nick Saban was still the coach for okay. LSU. So he's been there probably going on 20 years. Yeah. Um, but like I said, he's definitely the man in charge. Um, I think he focuses generally on football. Okay. And then he has other coaches who um, focus on the other sports. Because the football team is the biggest is the biggest sports team on campus. Yeah, definitely. So they're going to get the biggest, um, the largest amount of resources dedicated to them. Yeah, the LSU football team is arguably one of the largest franchises in the nation. Yeah. So. Um, and then the other sports, the smaller teams like the baseball team, the volleyball team, um, they have quality coaches too, mm-hmm. but they just don't need quite as many. I asked because I remember listening to Matt Vincent's podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, he mentioned working under Tommy Moffitt yep. and back when he was a thrower for LSU. Okay. So yeah. I figured maybe he, he just worked with all – maybe he works with all the athletes that require a lot of power. Or something like that. I'm really not sure because uh, my capacity was strictly football. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to see some of the other teams uh, work out, but probably 99% of my exposure was the football team. Mm-hmm. So I, I really couldn't tell you whether or not, um, you know, who else he worked with. Now, being the equipment manager, did you also have access to the weight room for your own use as well, or did you have to use the UREC like a, like a peasant? No, we were we were allowed to use their weight room, but we had to be mindful when they were in there. Oh yeah, definitely. Because it was for them. Yeah, definitely. Um, but we were, you know, we were allowed to lift in there, which was awesome. You know, how much nicer is their weight room than the UREC? Uh, well, the UREC now is nice, but at the time, infinitely. Okay. Because uh, I actually saw what it looked like before the renovation. Mm-hmm. And then while I was there, they did a massive renovation. So I got to see it um, new and improved. And it was, and I was quite yeah. impressive. I was living on Stafford at the time of the res- uh, renovation. So I just ran by it every day because I was running the LSU Lakes like three times a week. Okay. Yeah. Which, that was really convenient living on Stafford. That That's actually a very nice area. It, it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I neat. couldn't afford to live there. It wasn't that much. Really? Yeah, me and a guy rented a house. Uh, it was 
I want to say my half of the rent was only like $600 a month. That's a steal. It was. that area, that's a steal. Well, it was, had a small kitchen, one bathroom, uh, two bedrooms, of course, and a living room. The living room had a window unit and both bedrooms had a window unit. Okay. So it didn't have central heating and air. It had a huge yard. It was right on Stafford. It was close to everything. Like, actually, when I'm getting ready to leave this place, I need to, to look into that area because, like, it was a cool little house, and it was really close to the LSU Lakes. That's quite a drive from here, though. That uh, afternoon traffic is going to really suck. True. Uh, I would do this in a, in a world where I am no longer full-time with the guard. Okay, so your schedule would open up for you. Yes. So I could actually leave in the morning, get here around 10 a.m. or something. 10 a.m.? Yeah. That's late, man. I mean... Well, it's late for me. But, I'm, you know. Yeah, it's late for you. I am <laughs> not an early bird. I am most creative at between like 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. So I would get here around 10 a.m. I'd make sure that everything was good to go from the people who were here earlier that day. Right. Uh... I'd have time to do my training. Okay. I'd probably do all of my meal prepping here, too, while, while I was here. I'd have time to do my training, do my programming, and I could basically get all of my work and my workouts done before 3 o'clock. 3 o'clock is when members kind of start rolling in. Okay. Be here until around 7 or so, and then roll back to the house. Yeah, no, I, I can see that working. Yeah. Yeah. Like, pretty much just be here for the people who want to come sign up after work. Right. Or, and then roll to the house. Okay. Yeah, that, that, yeah. That was basically my schedule when I ran Snap. So. Okay. Yep. That's cool. Yeah. I am an early bird. <laughs> I am not. Uh, yeah, and she's not either, so. Yeah, I've noticed. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, being awake early is not fun. She was actually telling me a story the other day. About, um, you know, because she was watching Herc when I was in Fort Polk. Uh-huh. Uh, so she was just, she was here full time by herself. Right. Somebody knocked on the door at like 7 a.m. Knocked on, you know, the bedroom door at 7 a.m. That's not a good idea. To uh, to find out where the guest passes were. At 7 a.m.? 7 a.m. That's, they asked a little early for that. Yeah, and she said, she was like, I wanted so bad just to open the door just a little bit more and just point. <laughs> but she was like, okay, let me just let me get dressed, and I'll be out there in a second. And they didn't realize she was still asleep. It was like at 7 a.m. You know, most people are, well, not most people. Most people are up by 7 a.m., but that's one cool thing about owning a place is you don't have to adhere to the schedule of the rest of the world. Yeah, you can kind of make yeah, your own schedule. it doesn't make schedule. sense to adhere to the schedule of the rest of the world. Right. But, like, yeah, all my creative stuff, I usually do after 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock in the evening? Yeah. Or, man, that's late. My usually brain by, will not be creative before then. By 9 p.m., I'm like, the only thing I want to do is look at a TV or a book and then go to bed. Yeah. What you reading these days? Anything? Um, I, actually, I'm reading more uh, training-related things uh, on the last few pages of the Squat Bible. Never read that. It's... For someone like you, with your depth of knowledge, you you would probably burn through it quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were a few things that I got from it that I thought were going to be helpful. Um, but it is definitely great for people who 
want to get involved mm-hmm. in strange sports, but don't really know how. For that kind of stuff, like for programming, or not programming, for programming, I love books. Right. For movement coaching, cues, it's, and things like that, I yeah. really need video. I can so, do both. Um, yeah. Yeah, I like, well, the good news is that the book does have pictures. Um, so that does, that actually does help. I need video. Like one of the most useful series that I have ever come across uh-huh. is Mark Ripito, his, his starting, his starting strength series. Yeah. Uh, he has a YouTube series where it's him working with somebody brand new. Uh, okay. So you actually get to see him working through squat cues in real time of how he takes somebody who's never touched a barbell before and teaches them how to low bar squat. I need to go to look bench. at that. That, that sounds very they're helpful. Really cool. He has one on the Starting Strength YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alan Thrall has a series like that that's very similar because he follows the Starting Strength coaching principles now. Okay. And uh, he has another series on the art of manliness. Okay. If, I don't know if you have you ever listened to that podcast. I have heard of it, but I've not listened to it. It's really good. But he has a series because he he uh he works with the Starting Strength coach now. Okay. And he has a series where it's him working with Mark Ripito. And Mark Ripito is teaching him the squat, bench, deadlift, overhead press, and power clean. Um, at work, I like to listen to a lot of podcasts, mm-hmm. especially when I'm bit bu- when I'm busy and by myself. It's kind of my way of droning out all the noise, so mm-hmm. I can focus on what I'm doing. But I'm still actually learning. I'm yeah. surprisingly absorbing a lot. And one of my favorite podcasts to listen to is Table Talk with Dave Tate. I used to listen to Table Talk a lot. I like him a lot. Um, he's geared almost exclusively to powerlifting. Mm-hmm. But there's still a ton of stuff that he talks about that I think is applicable to everybody. Like strength training is strength training. Yeah. You know, like the principles, the principles to get a good at deadlift, uh, to get a a strong deadlift don't really change between strongman, powerlifting, CrossFit, Olympic lifting. Right. You know, a hinge pattern is a hinge pattern. Right. Which is one of the things that always kind of bugs me about the dogma that you see in a lot of coaches. And give me an example. Okay, like an example. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to name any names. Okay. But like somebody who, let's say somebody comes to me and they're wanting coaching for a powerlifting meet. And I remember I was talking to one of my friends who is a powerlifter. Right. And her first question is, but you do strongman. You know, but, okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, but taking, taking a, it might... Granted, high intermediate to advanced, yes, I'm going to send them to somebody who specializes in that. But a novice athlete, if you're talking about someone who is doesn't have an, a, in a, an, a, an advanced total and powerlifting, and you just he just wants you to assess him and make him better, yes, I think you're more than capable of doing that. Yeah, which like nine times out of ten, a person who comes through these doors, they are a novice, right? And one of the first things I do is talk them out of specialization mm-hmm. because novice athletes have no business specializing yet. No, I agree. You should yeah. be focusing on um, perfecting technique through movement. Exactly. They need yeah. to be building that, that wide base. Right. You know, if you've got a narrow base and you specialize and the moment you're injured, you're done. Yep. You've got a wide base. You can accommodate you build that pyramid versus a skyscraper. Mm-hmm. You know, then you, you just, you're a lot more well-rounded as a person, as an athlete and, you know, just stronger. That's why I like doing all the different lifts that I do. Um, I kind of already know that I'm never going to be a professional yeah. in strength sports, but I'd like to think that I'm technically proficient at a lot of different things. You are. 
So I I, I, I mess with the powerlifting movements, uh, which mm-hmm. are my primary training methods. But I also do a lot of the strongman events, mm-hmm. and I also do a lot of the Olympic lifting stuff. That's one thing I don't do a lot of, but mostly just because I'm not built to be good at it. The only thing I don't really do is the snatch. Mm-hmm. Only be, And the only reason why I don't do it is because I have some pain in my shoulder when I uh, externally rotate that far. It's a really good reason. And I'm... J- I used to be a moron and just push through it, mm-hmm. but now that I see how expensive medical bills are, yes, um, I'm not going to do that. So I just stick with the power clean and jerk. Do you ever do Turkish get-ups? I know what it is, but no, I have not. So Turkish get-ups are cool because with your arm fully extended, mm-hmm. you get to go from that internal rotation into the external rotation. Okay. Under load safely. So okay. it's a really good way to strengthen those smaller muscles. So I need to try that. Yeah. If you've got some pain uh, when you externally rotate too far, I would definitely work some Turkish get-ups in, which okay. I need to drink my own Kool-Aid because I love Turkish get-ups and <laughs> I've got pain in my shoulders. But I'm, I am really bad at knowing how to fix a problem when somebody else comes to me with the problem. Right. But I don't do it my own damn self. And I think part of that is just I'm too damn busy these days. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you are pretty damn busy. Yeah, I need to figure that out. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Turkish get-ups will help with that a lot. I'm so. and definitely to play around with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually doing a little bit more of a hypertrophy phase going mm-hmm. into... I mean, I know we have the Ruger coming up. Yeah. Um, so basically, because my life's about to be turned, well, not upside down, but it's going to be radically different. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm basically going to train what I can to the Ruger. Mm-hmm. Take what I can get. And move on. Okay. Um, but the way I'm training now is a bit more, I'm taking a step back. Okay. I was dabbling in things that I probably was not advanced enough mm-hmm. yet to really mess with. So I'm going back to old school, five by five. Yeah. Uh, a little bit, a couple of extra supplemental exercises, mm-hmm. try to build a little bit of hypertrophy. Mm-hmm. And then eight weeks from then, we'll, I'm, yes. I'll reassess and see well, what it's like. Elizabeth and, uh, and used to be Matt are they're about to start their Ruguru prep and we're doing three weeks of hypertrophy for them before we do a seven week uh intensification cycle so we're doing very a very brief hypertrophy because they just got off a shit ton of uh of intensification right uh just to just for some just so their ligaments have something a little bit different right you know they're not gonna get any bigger in three weeks but no. They'll be able to train. They'll be able to train effectively without a 10-week, I'm going to beat the shit out of you. Well, even if they don't necessarily get a whole lot bigger, um, that increased volume to try to promote hypertrophy, just getting that extra blood flow in the muscles 100%. would do well, wonders for recovery. Yeah, and I'm, I'm mostly I'm mostly focusing on their ligaments. Right. That's mostly what I'm focusing They're on. They're just taking some of that stress off. Yes, yeah. definitely. Uh, which is something a lot of people don't do. They go from competition to competition to competition. Like, I know there are a few people who just did Alabama Strongest, and they're planning on doing uh, Mississippi Strongest, which is in, I think it's like six, seven weeks. See, I think that's too close. And then they're going to do Rougarou right after that. Oh, that's way too much. Yes, that is way too much. I think that's asking for something to pop. Now, granted, I think you can get away with that if you're new. If you're a newer athlete, I think you can get away with that because you don't have that neuromuscular efficiency to recruit to recruit that many muscle fibers, right? And pop something. And you, if 
If you're new, I'm going to go ahead and guess you're doing a novice category. Probably. Which means the intensity is less. Yes. So the risks are lower. I'm not going to say the intensity is less because intensity is relative. Yes. Yes. But like somebody who is like the newbie game, somebody who is brand new in the gym, mm-hmm. they can ju- they're probably not going to hurt themselves cat backing a deadlift because their body is physically strong enough to do a hell of a lot more, but right. they don't know how to make it do a hell of a lot more yet. Right. And I, I've th- th- that thing that you just said, cat backing your deadlift. I learned the hard way how that works. Oh yeah. Um, I've I, become not an expert, but if you ask me questions about that, I, I will, I will, and, You've been, you've been scared to pull heavy ever since, practically. Yeah, I don't really like uh, like max deadlift mm-hmm. events in strongman. I, I, I don't really like doing them. I do them because I need to, but yeah. I, I don't really enjoy doing them. Well, for most people, unless you're a competitor, you don't need to max out. I much, rarely do. Pretty much ever. Uh, Powerlifters are really the only ones that I would think need to do heavy singles. But they only probably do that maybe once, maybe twice a month. It depends on the program. If you're doing a program that uh, that's based on RPE, mm-hmm. they do a lot of heavy singles. They don't do max effort heavy singles, but they'll do like a single at an RPE of eight. Okay. Or something like that. Something that they know they can hit. Mm-hmm. And what like what they'll do is they'll do a heavy single at like an RPE of eight. And then we do back down sets based on a percentage of whatever an RPE of eight was that day. You know, because okay. an RPE of eight is not going to be the same thing every day. Right. So on the days that they're feeling really good, they can push it. On the days they're not feeling so good, they can dial it back a little bit. I feel yeah. like that would be hard to do by yourself. Not necessarily. It'd be hard for a new person to do by themselves. But somebody okay. who is experienced, RPE is a very, it's a very good method. They just kind of got to. Like, a new person doesn't know what an RP of 8 feels like because they don't know what anything feels like yet. So, like, with new people, I always program percentages. Right. Always. Which, like I said, 90% of the people who walk through these doors are novices. And I, I still I still like to train that way mm-hmm. um, just because it's simple. I take a lot of the guesswork out. True. Um, so, even even though I've been lifting weights for a little while, quite some time, I, I still like to do it the old school way, just, just micro-progressions. Yep. Taking things slow and perfection technique mm-hmm. it still works for me. Yeah. And it's going to work for most people most of the time. Right. You know, it's really just like it's a very small percentage that needs something like conjugate or cubed or. I like, think those are people who are already pushing. I don't want to say pushing past the limit because you never really know what your limit is until you yeah. get there. Those are for the people who want to add like 30 pounds to a 500 pound deadlift in a year or something like that. Right. People who are already competing at a high, high level. Yeah. 500 pounds is probably a little light for, for that analogy, but yeah, they're trying to get an extra 1%. Right. Because they're already almost at their genetic peak. That's kind of like, um, I might say a lot of people ask me about it, but I've had a couple people ask me how I feel about, you know, Oh, Hey, I, you know, I picked up this program from West side. What do you think about that? Like, man, I don't know. I those, those guys are. I hate those questions. It, it's just like it's 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 like those those guys are doing things that I can tell you right now. You've been I am not a ready single for. sip of that whiskey, have you? Huh? You forgot you were holding that whiskey, didn't you? No, I've been taking sips. Have you? Okay, yeah, little sips. Right. I mean, I'm not trying to get tanked on my first yeah, appearance. I'm just stupid, I guess. Yeah. Maybe next week I'll Maybe. buzz. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just get hammered. Ah, uh, hmm. Might have to take a day off on Monday though. <laughs> um. I, I hate those kind of questions. Like, what do you think of this program? What do you think of that program? Just because 
it's it's dumb to have an opinion of data. Right. You know, data is data. Data, however you want to pronounce it. I think they both work. I think they do. I've heard it both ways. Mm-hmm. I think data is like a proper noun, like it refers to like an android or a cyborg or something. Yeah, like a, a proper name. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Let's go with that. Like, like people ask me, hey, what do you think about conjugate? And I was like, it depends on who you are. Right. Like, I don't think conjugate is good for new athletes. Mm. I don't think it's good for raw athletes. Right. Um, it's geared towards elite geared powerlifters. Yes. Like, the, the text that Louis Simmons got all of his information from for conjugate was based on Russian systems where everybody was geared. Right. You know, not not geared, but on gear. Right. You know, it was, okay, we're putting every athlete we have in the country on this program, and whoever survives competes. Sounds effective, but brutal. Yes. Well, it's effective on the macro level, but on the micro level for the individual athlete, not so much, because most of those athletes didn't survive. Okay. Well, you know, they lived, but they didn't... Make the cut. Yeah, they didn't make the cut to compete. Right. Um... The ones that did are the oddities, which is what Louis Simmons caters towards. Yeah, he, he caters more or less to say the freaks. Yes, he um, goes for those one percent of athletes. Like he's going to walk to up to somebody at a meet who already has a five hundred pound bench press mm-hmm. and recruit them to train at Westside. It not, works. Yeah, it works for them at least. It's like that's one of the reasons why I personally prefer like Mark Ripito or. Um, I can picture him in my head, and I know the five three one Jim Jim. Oh, Wendler. Jim Wendler, yeah. Yes, I preferred their works to Louis Simmons' work because, like, Jim Wendler was that Westside actually. He was. He was a Westside and, prodigy. Yes, and now he his program is based on undulating percentages, mm-hmm. and his what's the word I'm looking for? Um. His, uh, the group that he is experimenting on is a bunch of high school kids. And I actually listened, I listened to him talk about that on a yeah. podcast, and basically his guys are kicking ass week in and week yep. out. He, he has a local high school around his house that is within walking distance of his house. <laughs> he goes there for free, and he experiments on these kids, basically. And when he, when he discusses a program that he does with them, it, it sounds very simple and straightforward. It is. He doesn't do any Olympic lifting that you yeah. see, I guess, traditionally in, in football because that's what works for 90% of who you're going to run across. Right. The 10% need something like cubed or conjugate or something like that. He Most does people, they need something much simpler. Squat, bench, deadlift, pharmac and prowlers. Yes. And he gets them jacked and strong, and they're dominating every weekend. Yep. And then you've got guys like Mark Ripto. Mm-hmm. You know, like Louis Simmons takes the freaks, the top 1%, and he makes them the top half percent. Right. Guys like Mark Ripito, he takes your grandmother. And he gets her to where she can get up off the floor by herself. Right. Which is probably the overwhelming majority of people. Yes. You know, so I'm not going to say one is more skilled than the other. Uh, I, I would probably say that Louis Simmons probably has a lot more technical knowledge. Because that's what his specificity demands, probably. Yes, but I don't think he'd know what to do with your grandmother. Probably not. Yeah. He probably, honestly, for someone like him, he probably wouldn't know when to back off. Yeah. Whereas Mark Ripperto wouldn't know, hey, look, this is where we need to stop. Even if he doesn't believe in global warming. that did, I like Mark Ripto's training philosophy, but I try to listen to him talk. and like, okay. Did, Fucking I mean, Texans. He's, he's weird. <laughs> I, I feel like I love him, but hate him at the same time. Have you ever seen his uh, his equipment line? No, I have not. His rack is C-channel. 
Wait, say that again. He has a power rack that's just—it's a twenty-four inch deep rack that is just C channel. That's it. That's it. It's not square tubing. It's just C channel, and it is really expensive. What? Why? Why? His bench is wooden. How much are he selling this for? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> It's—I don't know if he's selling them to the public, but you know they're actually starting strength franchise gyms now. Yeah, you have. From what I understand, you have to go through a pretty tough... Um, to get certified yeah, as starting strength coach, it's, yes. It's pretty tough. It's pretty grueling because you actually have to know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah. And you have to demonstrate that you can make somebody stronger. And I think it also requires a certain level of humility. I think if you come in there half-cocked, they, they just wash you out. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I'd like to go through it one day. I, it, hmm, I don't know how much it costs, but I w- I'd be willing to do that. That would be fun. From what I understand, there are so few of them in the country that it's one of the only certifications that always produces a uh, profit. Would that? Would you ever want to turn Atlas into a starting strength gym? Not Well, like, Untamed Strength isn't a starting strength gym, but Alan Thrall is a starting strength coach. I did not know that. Yes. Okay. Yes, you do not have to be a starting strength affiliate to be a starting strength coach. Just like if I went to go get a level one at CrossFit, this wouldn't turn into a CrossFit gym. I would just have a level one in CrossFit. Maybe we should look into that, see what it would, exactly what it would take to do that. Mm-hmm. I would like to do those two mm-hmm. because um, both of them appeal to a different audience. Right. But a wide audience. And I would also like to go through um, through Pavel Satsula and Strong First. What is, what is that? Uh, so I've been through their barbell course. It was a two-day course that uh, that they did out in um, New Orleans a few years ago. Okay. Uh, strong first. Pavel Setsulin is the guy who introduced kettlebells to the United States. Okay. But he is uh, his first company was um, I think is RKC, uh, Russian kettlebell certification. But then he broke away with his partner from that and he started Strong First. Okay. And Strong First, it's it's principles on strength training. So, like, that's where I learn things, like, when you're doing a one-arm press with the, uh, like, if you're pressing with your, like, if you're pressing with your right hand to take your left hand and crush it like you're trying to, cr- uh, squeeze it like you're trying to crush a marble uh-huh. to create tension. Like, that's, he's one of the first people that I heard talk about creating tension throughout the entire body rather than just the muscle that you're trying to work, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and it's a lot of really cool information. I actually have the binder from the course that I took sitting there somewhere. I'd be interested uh, looking into that. Yes. Um, I remember, uh, do you know who, can't remember his name. He's got a really cool mustache. Um, the writer of Back Mechanic. Do you know what I'm talking about? Steve McGill. Yeah, I've been listening to him talk lately too. He when he uh, when he was writing Back Mechanic, mm-hmm. one of the things that he mentions in his book is he's testing the core strength for a lot of strength athletes. He tested a lot of high level powerlifters, high level strongmen, mm-hmm. but the core, the person who had the strongest core that they that he ever tested was actually Pavel Satsulin, who is like 170 pounds. Wow. Yeah, like the guy is just freakishly strong, but he's also freakishly Russian. Like the first <laughs> time I was introduced to him. Um, a strength coach, well, he's actually CrossFit coach, strength coach, whatever. He He's a smart guy, but his name was Charles Hare. He used to run a place called the Proving Ground CrossFit here in Baton Rouge. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like a CrossFit gym that wasn't a CrossFit gym, if that makes sense. 
Like he actually programmed with specific directions in mind rather than just uh, randomized. So it wasn't just a wad that you run yeah, with it. Yeah, like he was a smart guy. Like you came in and this is what you were doing this day and it actually made sense. There was progression. Yes, and then every six months or so he'd run you through a, I don't want to say it was like a combine, but he'd run you through two weeks of testing and he would create a male avatar and a female avatar based on the averages of how people did mm-hmm. and that's how he would program. Okay. So it, yeah, it was a really cool system. That's like, interesting approach. Yeah. Like one day, one day when I'm doing this full time, I might do something similar uh, for people who want to, who, for people who want to pay a little extra, mm-hmm. but don't want to pay for personalized programming or one-on-one programming. I might do that for those people. Okay. Just because it worked. Like the you know it wasn't ideal for everybody, but it was. It was better than not knowing what the hell you were doing. Right. Uh, and it was better than just picking up a random program and trying to run it based on, you know, half-cock knowledge. Right. What were we talking about? Oh, where where he introduced me. Uh, but he introduced me to Pavel Satsulin, and then he recommended a couple of podcasts, and I heard him on the Tim Ferriss podcast. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've ever listened to Tim Ferriss podcast, but one of the first things that he always asks his member, his guests when they come on is what they have for breakfast that day. And it's just the most Russian thing ever. It was like, uh, Mr. Satsulin, what would you have for breakfast this morning? Just leans on my coffee. <laughs> That's it? That was it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> That's what he had for breakfast that morning. Um, but, yes, bear, if you um, – if you go to his podcast mm-hmm. or go to the Tim Ferriss podcast and just listen, it's very, very interesting. I want to say he was also on, uh, he was on the Joe Rogan podcast too at one point. Was he? Yes. Okay. I, I listen to Joe Rogan from time to time too, particularly when he has a guest that I find interesting, but mm-hmm. I'll go find him. Yes. Pavel, Pavel is very, very intelligent. Okay. Like he's one of those guys that's forgotten more than we will ever know. Uh, currently he does programming for the U S special forces. That's pretty extreme. Yes. <laughs> yes. He uh, he loves capitalism now. Oh, I'm sure he does. He, he used to do programming for the KGB. Now he does programming for the U.S. Special Forces. Things help out when you throw a few dollar signs. Oh, 100%. <laughs> you know, now he has his own, bu- he has his own business, Strong First. Um, he's got a lot of books. I got a few of his books in there. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I'll, I'll hand you one on your way out the door. But I think you'll enjoy that. it. So we are, we just crossed an hour. Mm-hmm. Um I, you got anything you'd like, you'd like to add for today? Anything that you want to talk about? Uh, nothing off the top of my head. All right. Well, in that case, let's take this for uh, let's take this in for a landing, so you can get back home to your extremely pregnant wife. And uh, what what's she craving? Like, what are the foods that she craves? It actually changes. Uh, let's see. Right now, she is making her way through some gummy bears that I brought with me to the competition. Um, she loves gummy bears. Chastity has some THC gummies. You want one? Um, I don't think I don't think her doctor would appreciate that. No, no, no. Okay, I'm pretty sure that would be pretty sure that's a crime. I don't know. I'm not gonna test the waters on that one. Yeah, yeah, it's probably a bad idea. Um, about nerds rope. Does she like nerds rope? No, actually, I don't think she like. Right now, I don't think she likes nerds. Okay. So yeah, sometimes she does, sometimes she doesn't. I don't know. It's hard to okay. keep track. All right, if she doesn't like nerds. You're in trouble. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, taking this thing back for a landing. We're going to go through the sponsors one more time and then, uh, yeah, we're going to wrap things up. Sounds perfect. All right. So we got unmasked studio. That is no S go to Instagram or Facebook, type in unmasked studio. Go give that guy a like, a follow, uh, whatever you want to do. Go comment on, go tag, uh, what, what's your social media handle? 
Um, Instagram is Matthew Prime 92. Go tag Matthew Prime 92 in your favorite cosplay that he makes. Show us what you uh, show us what you like, and yeah, we'll uh, yeah. Who knows? We might get Matt into cosplay. Have you ever done cosplay before? I have not. Would you? Uh, pr- probably. If if you invited me to, I probably would. Yeah. Well, I know uh, next Wizard World will probably be involved with next Wizard World as well. Okay. So, yeah, it's a hell of a time. Uh, in fact, that's where we met the guy from Unmasked Studio. He came in with the most awesome Batman that you have ever seen. Okay. He looked like he just stepped off the cover of a Frank Miller novel. That was good. Yeah, it was really good. <laughs> so, Unmasked Studio. Go like him. Go tag Matt in, uh, in your favorite one of his stuff. Save it to your inspiration folder. Send it to all your friends. Whatever you have to do to get this guy in front of more eyes. Next, we have StrikeForceEnergy.com. Go to StrikeForceEnergy.com. Use promo code ATLASSTRENGTH at checkout. And you're going to save 20% on all of your energy needs, and you can be cracked out for your next workout. If you want to be even more cracked out, go ahead and dump a vial, a vial, a packet. (laughs) What what would you call those, packets? (laughs) Yeah, I think packets packets a good word. Go go and pour a serving of StrikeForceEnergy.com into your pre-workout from Go Hard Labs. Um, We are not responsible for anything that happens as a result. No, we are not, but... (laughs) If you're feeling brave, pour some Strike Force Energy into your pre-workout from Go Hard Labs. Spell it like it sounds. G-E-A-U-X Hard Labs. Get you some of that. Buy you blues. I swear to God, it is delicious. It tastes like blue, which everyone here knows what blue tastes like. Well, we know what Powerade blue tastes like, so yeah. I'm going to go ahead and say it's similar. It tastes like Powerade blue. Um, depending on how much water you mix it with, it's going to be more and more, more or less concentrated. Did I say concentrated? Concentrated. I don't know what what that word was. I can't talk right now. English is hard. Uh, They say English is really hard to learn, but it's the second most spoken language on earth. It doesn't make sense to me. I think somebody's lying. Anyway, Go Hard Labs. Use promo code RUGARU10 at checkout. You're going to save 10%. Last but not least, we have Cerberus USA. Go to CerberusUSA.com. Use promo code ATLASSTRENGTH at checkout and get all of the strongman supportive gear that you might need. They just came out with a really awesome barbell. I've heard good things about it. They have plates. They have sandbags, throwing bags, whatever you might need. Short of racks, you can outfit your entire gym with Cerberus USA right now. Sounds good. Yeah, definitely. And they have some of the best customer service I've ever met as well. All right, you got anything else to add? Uh, No, I think that's it. Cool. Go to iTunes. Give us a five-star rating if you think we are worth a five-star rating. If you don't think we are worth a five-star rating, don't keep it to yourself, but don't post it. Just message me. Tell us how we can do better. I really want to know how we can do better. Uh, Every single platform that you listen to, whether it's Spotify, Google Play, Apple, it has a share button. Go and share us on your Facebook feed. I'd really appreciate it. Get us in front of more listeners so that we can grow. That is what we want. We want some growth out of this thing. And finally, go follow Atlas Strength Shop on Instagram and Facebook. And if you're in the Baton Rouge area, come and shop Stone. Come and stop by one Saturday at 10 a.m. We do Strongman Saturday, or if you're in Southeast United States, sign up for the second annual Rougarou Classic on October 30th. We're going to have this place decorated for Halloween. We're going to have a costume contest going on at the same time. It's going to be awesome. We'll give candy to your kids, and they are not going to be THC gummies, I promise. (laughs) Those are expensive. Got anything else to add? Nope, I think that about covers it. All right, until next week. Y'all have a good one. Thank you, guys.